Chapter Five of Miss Ingelis by Gertrude Hall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Five. Grace went to her room in a daze. She would have liked to go out and walk, but it was raining too heavily. She could reflect while walking in the open air better than in any other way. Her puny bits of poetry had, in their time, been composed on her long walks. In the afternoon, the sky partly cleared, and she started forth with rubbers and umbrella, not quite trusting the season and its moods. She passed in the upper hall, with a pang, a roll of carpeting, already pulled up by zealous hands, the beginning of the disruption of the last home that had known her father. She decided that the hour called for calm reasonableness, helpful philosophy. She soon reached the street she had been aiming for, where there were never many people, the long street of elegant habitations among which stood her own, that was to be. This led to a suburb, then, after miles, to a wooded hill and a lake enclosed by stone banks for city drinking. As she walked, Grace was not only trying to think things out and come to some definiteness about her best course, she was also combating the soul-sickness born of Lydia's holding up the sacred past in so hateful a light. She was struggling to subdue the burning in her breast of wrath and indignation. That there was Claire in the world that she was happy in his love, and wore, in token of it, pinned to the front of her coat, violets whose odor was counted upon to keep her mind of it all day long, did not make any difference in the hurt of having Lydia think of her, and the rest, as she had shown that she did. The most horrible fact was to know that Lydia carried all that sense of injury within her, even when things ran smoothly and she remained silent. The most amazing was to think that Lydia was sincere in all that she said about her father and mother and sister. Lydia felt that she was right, even as Grace knew that she was wrong. It was enough to drive one quite mad. With eyes sliding inattentively over the bricks of the sidewalk, Grace tramped quickly along, goaded by those thoughts which are enough to drive one mad. She did not believe herself as selfish as Lydia said, but she knew she was often forgetful, absorbed in whatever at the moment interested her. She was caught in this and brought to a sense of sin too often not to feel humble. Yet, knowing just how it happened and how compatible it was with a strong desire to be nice to everybody, particularly to Lydia. She could not feel it to be unpardonable or heinous. Now, while walking in meditation, she was forced to recognize that she, too, had dreadful thoughts about Lydia sometimes. She had them at this moment, thoughts as cruel as Lydia's about her. Only she never said them. She would have been afraid to say them, with a stronger woman, sure to turn upon her and say worse. But that was not the whole truth. She could not have wished to wound as much as the publishing of her 
in edited thoughts in moments of grievance and excitement would have wounded her cowardice was not greater than her charity moreover she retained however angry the understanding that it would be wronging herself and the other to let thoughts and words represent her that had no place in her calmer hours between thinking and uttering her thoughts there was a margin where the precepts for right conduct dwelt whose voice she could still hear above passion and these precepts established that to create a pierce of ugliness such as a wrangle was a thing which while one retained the control of oneself and the dream of a serene and seemly world one did not consent to do lydia who spoke her mind she had simpler mental motions she never examined their origin why should she with the inborn lifelong and flawless conviction of her own right-mindedness in such a little while less than a month grace reflected at last lydia will be going far away and when i am not there to irritate her time will soften everything in her memory and i shall remember how she altered my dresses for me and ironed my handkerchiefs and let me sleep in the morning and a thousand other sisterly things and the picture of this day will fade in less than a month with what confusing rapidity things had been happening to her it made one dizzy hurling her clothes into a trunk for the west indies becoming engaged and now the whole background of her life crumbling to make room for things still unimagined for what things that was now the question where to go how to live after the poor's left the boarding-house was the last choice the no choice if only ida lamont had been near who would so surely have given her hospitality a minute search among her acquaintances they were not numerous had no more result than her first brief review of them not any of them were sufficiently close friends to ask a favor of her thought stopped on andreas dane had not one of the girls at the art school told her that his mother let rooms with quickened interest she followed this thread and passed exploring through a picture world of her creation his mother would be sure to be motherly his home would have the requisites that were her requisites too but no it would not do there were reasons why it would not do a pity for it might have filled her need though she could get lydia's point of view and find lydia's action natural it was bitter to be moved just now from the dissension of her home to the unpicturesque promiscuousness of a boarding-house claire had known her such a little while his family and friends did not know her at all in her true setting and now would never do so her home was not that of money-rich people but it was something much better in being that of nice people with ancestors and traditions and education and old furniture she was proud of being her father's daughter their house in a manner stood for him claire in coming to see her there was not stooping a sensitive nerve in her winced 
at the picture of him calling on her in a boarding-house with its hodgepodge of properties its odour of meals its prying and gossiping fellow boarders she had no experience of boarding-houses and carried in her mind a distasteful caricature of them a tortured self-love filled her in anticipation with the burning of a permanent blush with this trial ahead to meet unaided already she felt lonely and rather appalled because never had she been without someone to take care of her she did not know what it was to take care of herself even for a day during all her childhood there had been near her that dear mother to whom she still jealously apportioned half of her filial affection though the father who had been so much larger a share in her life after she began to think had become the closer comrade the dominant influence after her mother's death her father had been there he had not sent her away to school or college but had kept her with him for the comfort of both finally and up to this day there had been lydia to direct and scold her but likewise to stand with her longer knowledge of life between her and the difficult world there are so many things a girl cannot know a girl is timid about so many things and now ignorant unpractised she was to decide everything be responsible for everything herself she had claire of course but something warned her that this was different it was not such wisdom as his that a young girl needed to walk by it is time to be brave grace thought because she felt so much fear in looking ahead at those days after the familiar surroundings had vanished and the familiar folks had fled her father had said that you might have all the virtues except courage and the moment might come when all your virtues would be made void for lack of that one he had tried to implant courage in her knowing she was deficient in it she held courage now as an ideal he had given to her and aspired toward it when she felt her nerve failing it is time to be brave she said sudden and unlooked for came the need to spread her umbrella at the same time she turned and beneath the pattering tent went back over the same road with the pain she had come out to walk off a good deal deadened a star shone through the melting tempest of whose shining behind the clouds she had not at any moment lost consciousness claire was coming to take her to a concert that evening she decided not to say a word of the change in prospect she shrank from talking about it with him just yet lest some remark of his draw forth awkward admissions from her, lest, in brief, being prejudiced in her favor, he should fail to get the poor's point of view and be disposed to criticize them in his frank way. He was not much taken with Lydia and Beatty, she feared, at which she genuinely wondered, because when the poor's went with her to the family dinner at the Overcomes, they both made such a fine appearance. Beatty was distinguished, if nothing else, and Lydia, in her severe way, had looked on that occasion so handsome. She would not say a word about the new plans that evening, but after coming in she would write. Her mind was clearest late at night, when all the world was still, 
she was least sleepy then she would explain everything and so presented to claire in that letter that he would see all in the right light and not blame her people any more than she blamed them when she was regarding them as she hoped to do in time altogether calmly and unselfishly she let herself in with a latch-key and was placing her umbrella in the stand when she perceived in it a wet umbrella strange to her a handsome umbrella with a solid silver knob an elegant yet sensible umbrella large for a woman though small for a man whose the owner was in the drawing-room talking with lydia grace could hear them but not what they said nor could she guess whose voice it was she was starting up the stairs when lydia came to the door and called come in grace mrs vaughter is here mrs vaughter of course claire's sister teresa grace hurried in to meet her with the abundant joyfulness that attends any boon after a lonely bout with sorrow teresa had from the first minute been so warmly welcoming she was the one who had made herself the representative of the family to clarence's betrothed she was a fine-looking woman of forty-five with an attractive air of physical soundness not a thread of gray in her black hair nor any diminution of liveliness in her black eye her smile was immensely cheering and was used to cheer you all the while she talked in her vivacious hearty way she could admit that the world was a vale of tears she had not an excuse to make for it on the contrary but she induced you while with her to do as she did and get some good in spite of it she arose to kiss grace and what is this i hear she began at once breezily your sister tells me that she is leaving and that you are thinking of going somewhere to board my dear child how could such an idea enter your little head or your sister's you are going to do nothing of the kind you are coming right in your rightful family do you think red would hear of anything else red my brother whom in your quaint little way you call claire our house is big you saw it and it is elastic we have plenty of room when necessary the girls double up think how we should feel child to have you go to anybody else grace a little dazed again smiled foolishly without stirring her eyes moved from teresa to lydia she saw from lydia's face that all had been settled between them before she came in the smile began to tremble on her lips a quick moisture gathered in her eyes so the terrors besieging her had been ghosts that burden of trouble so real to her had been of a kind to drop and be lost in the sea at the end of an hour how phantasmagorical is this world teresa seeing her tears so easy to interpret took her comfortingly in her arms i think i see her red's dainty little sweetheart in a stuffy old boarding-house she petted her grace returned her kiss affectionately and let her head lie on the other's shoulder through the whisper of silk she could hear deep down teresa's muffled heartbeats she felt of a sudden that she must free herself or smother she was frightened 
in the midst of her self-abandonment to relief and gratitude she was frightened things were going too fast her destiny was moving too fast by too great leaps it did not give her time to breathe to think to see her way nothing nicer could have happened than this obviously that the overcome should take her to live with them until her marriage yet her fright came in part from the recognition that between teresa's amiability and her own she could not help herself she was as much bound to go as if she had been delivered over by lydia with hands and feet tied this condition lasted but a second no she mentally talked back to her bad sensations i am free of course i am free and there is nothing i had rather do than go to stay with claire's people End of chapter five